Welcome to Vino Week, episode 9, brought to you by Vino 101. Welcome to Vino Week, I'm Bill. Hey everybody, it's Al. We got some more exciting topics about the wine world today. We do, we do. And it always amazes me how much news the world of wine generates and how intriguing it is on some level. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 it is amazing. And we're, I mean, we're kind of just looking kind of uh, U.S. centric for the most part. Yeah, this is true. I mean, imagine all the things that are going on in the rest of the world. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're thinking, so we, yeah. All right, so, we, so, yeah. So we're starting off with, uh, we're starting off with uh, who's dominating and who's selling the most wines. That where we're going first. Yeah, let's let's talk about that article. Okay, well, this is this comes out of it's kind of an industry insider thing. So we'll make it real quick. But I did find it interesting that the it, it, it's an article in. Um, uh, wines and vines, and it talks about the top twenty uh, brands. And what they're doing is, uh, I guess, they collect the information from um, uh, big retailers and uh, grocery stores. Yep, it's not on. It's not unlike um, if you're in the media business. There's a thing called book scan and music scan, and they give register receipts for North America every week. So, I assume this is probably similar. Well, who do you think's at the top of the list? Who's the who's the uh, top top dog? Number one sales. I, I so I I wouldn't have guessed. Uh, I wouldn't have guessed the number one. Um, by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I would have probably picked number three, um, or even number six. So number one's Barefoot, right? It's Gallo. Yeah. Um, Barefoot. Yep. Um, you know, Sutter Home. Is there? Yeah, you got Franzia coming out at number three. Like you said, a yeah. lot of people would have probably picked that as as uh, you see it everywhere. Well, and it's just yeah. I mean, they just you know they man that that <laughs> those guys move a lot of wine. The one that surprises me because everyone is just really uh, giving them a hard time lately, and their economy is as far as wine sales has really suffered over the past several years. Is Yellowtail yeah. is at number five? Yeah, I wonder. It would be interesting to see sort of the last five years if they have data that far back. Um, you know where Yellowtail was, um, but it's uh, it's interesting. Black box wines, number fourteen, hundred nineteen million in sales last fifty two weeks. That's <laughs> some ungodly amount of money. Would never have guessed that. I don't even think I've ever seen a black box wine. Oh, it's around. Oh, I'm sure. Look down down on the lower shelf in Safeway. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll look now and I'll see it, but it's like, really? Um, But this is a great, this is, uh, this fits well with when we were talking about what's going on in the wine industry in terms of more wine being sold in supermarkets and how it's driving sales. You know, people that may not have walked into a wine shop ever definitely are going through the supermarket and you know, uh, see the wine and like, oh, I'll pick up a, you know, $7 bottle of wine for dinner or I'm going to a picnic and I guess I need that, that Franzia or that black box. Well, it speaks to the volume that they have and it also speaks to the marketing. And I mean, it's, it's just, what's shocking to me is that over half of the brands on that list of the top 20 are owned by two companies. Yeah. I was just, I was, just about to, I was just counting uh, Gallo and Constellation. 
it's it's unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable. I mean, I mean it, talking it, um, in the article, you know, it says that th- those two companies account for almost half of the nearly four billion dollars in sales of the top twenty brands. Well, I mean, Barefoot Wine six hundred twenty-two million in in um, in fifty-two weeks, and if you scroll down the list a little bit, you know, you start picking up. You know, they don't appear again until eleven, but. 150 million, 128 million, 128 million. Um, you know, got to be over a billion dollars on this list, or pretty close to it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's over a billion dollars. Which is, which is, uh, it's stupefying. And when you think, I mean, people, and this isn't this isn't hundred dollar bottle of wine. <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's it's, it's not hundred dollar bottle of wine yeah. by far. And um, I was driving up the other day. I was driving up to Ukiah, and I drove. You're going like, why are you going to Ukiah? I'm just like, okay. <laughs> well, no. Hey, we go up to Ukiah on vac- okay. you know, the vacation. I mean, Ukiah is a nice area. It is also, a nice for everyone area. Everyone that lives in Ukiah, it's a so, beautiful town. Okay. Yeah, and if you're in the other crop that's produced here, that's still illegal, it's sort of center of the universe at some level. Yeah. Some, now, it won't be illegal for long. That's true. So, uh, but but as you're driving up and you're going through uh, the, the upper edge of Alexander Valley, you look to the left before you get into Cloverdale. There's this huge expanse of vineyards, and you see all of the uh, the stakes, and you see the little milk cartons, you know, to keep the rabbits from eating the leaves of the vines. That's all Gallo vineyards. Yeah, it's just it's the whole entire side of that valley going against that hill is all Gallo. That's how big they are. So anyway, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's mine. It really is. It really is mind-boggling. And also, it, it, if you really think about it too, it just makes sense. Wine's an agricultural product, and it's all about volume. You're yeah. gonna make money. It's all about volume. So that was. Uh, I, I thought that was a good way to start it off. Is uh, it's just generally to let people know. Um, you know, we we love wine. It's a great business, but it's big business, and there's no doubt about yeah, that. For sure. <laughs> And to, to dovetail into the big business thing, uh, did you get the post? Uh, I sent you an article for um, for uh, the big sale of Mayomi. Yes, yes, that was huge, and a lot of people talking about that. Well, yeah, it's a big deal because it's uh, it's like which is better? I mean, if you had a boatload of money, if you had just buckets and buckets of money, what would you buy? Would you buy vineyards or would you buy a brand? And that's really what this is about. Yeah. Well, you know, I you'd, you'd buy the brand. If you want to make money, you're going to buy an established brand. Well, I, I, that's, I, I, that would that's be what argument. Constellations is betting on because they're buying the brand. Because what they've done essentially is they've said, shoot, this brand, you know, Mayomi sells about 700,000 cases a year. And for people that don't. For people that don't know, I guess we should tell them what the Mayomi brand is. Yeah, let's. We should probably start there. <clears throat> Mayomi's owned by, um, or not anymore. It was owned by uh, uh, Camus or Chuck Wagner, the Camus Camus brand. Right, and, and Camus they, and Camus is a favorite. Is a famous Napa wine. Yeah, it's a big winery. They have other wineries in the Central Valley, but but their big brand is their uh, Camus Vintage Selection. They make a, a high end Napa Cabernet. Yeah. Um, they also make Conundrum, which you're probably familiar with. Yep. Which and, is a real, which is an interesting one. Yeah. So um, the son, 
the son, uh, one of the scions of the company, uh, he decided to start his own brand within the brand. This is years ago. I want to say probably like in the, in the early 90s. 2000s. Okay. I was like late 90s, right? Late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, I'm not sure when he started it, but um, I mean, he started it out and it was super, super small, but he's grown it to where they're making over 700,000 cases a year. It's kind of everywhere and it's, it's, you know, it's, what did, um, I think Matt Kramer said it best in one of his articles, it's, it's like Pinot Noir on training wheels, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great analogy, <laughs> but it's, it's decent. If you put it, if you put it next to quote unquote, true West coast Pinot Noir, I mean, you'd be able to pick it out like that. Right. Because it's, it's pretty sweet. Right. It's pretty sweet. And it's, it's big. It's fruity. I mean, it's not traditional French <laughs> Pinot Noir, you know. It's not that. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's what people like. People like it. And, I mean, if you're selling 700,000 cases or something. You got, you're doing something right. Yeah, something's right. So Constellations recognizes this. And they say, hey, man, you guys got a good thing going. We got a little cash. Why don't we buy your brand? Whoa. And all they're going to do is they're going to take the blend. And they're just going to take it to their factory, duplicate it, and make five, six, seven, eight times as much of it and sell it and market it everywhere. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if they show up on that report that we were just talking about in, in a number of years because it has the potential to do that. Absolutely. It certainly does. And Pinot Noir, especially if you get the, if you're able to tap into that wide of a, uh, a number of people's palate, you can blow it out like that. So we're talking... Uh, they they forked over three hundred fifteen million dollars. <laughs> so Chuck Wagner's got to be thinking, "Hey, Dad, how'd I do?" Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Not too bad. So what they're gonna do is they're gonna parlay all that money, and it, what they want to do is they want to buy vineyard land. Yeah, they're buying more land. Yeah. So, so because and, they know that that land is is the nexus. That's where it all starts. Yeah. So they're trying to bulk up on land, and Constellations is gonna take the brand. You know, they're just going to spin it and make some right. super intense, fruity, big red type thing. Like, just keep doing the same thing and just blow up the amount that's put out there. Well, I mean, Steve, Steve's got an interesting point in his post about how the if that trade deal goes through, you know, he's talking about the TTP, right? Which is that secret trade deal that they worked on. Yep. Um, you know, they're talking about how. Uh, exports of U.S. wines will be able to grow because I bet you there's probably. There's, if you've ever lived, if you've ever gone overseas or lived overseas and tried to get U.S. wine, especially in Europe, you can find it, but you're going to pay a significant amount of tax. Yeah, um, it's it's not anything decent usually. It's and it's yeah, and it's like it's stuff off that. Oftentimes, it's stuff similar to, to the you know big bulk wine report. I shouldn't say bulk wine; that's a specific term in the wine business. But you know the the big players, brand players. But anyway, you know these. Yeah, you know, it's smart business at the end of the day. It's like I'm gonna buy more land I'm gonna buy more land, I'm gonna produce more grapes and then you know, cultivate more grapes and then we can you know, we can really grow. I think it's just I I they must be the Wagners just must be just tickling themselves, but I can't imagine that they could have envisioned when he started that Pinot Noir brand back in the day that they would be selling it for three hundred and fifteen million dollars. There's just the brand, no inventory, no land, 
nothing. I mean, I mean, no, no winery, just the brand alone. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. Uh, yeah, and you know the thing is, is that they can take that. They can take what they're doing and just do it again with a different, a different brand. Yeah. Well, now if you look back, if you if you look back at that that top twenty list, and you look at those brands, the one at the top that you know the top producer would be would be Gallo. Right. Gallo is a private company, and and so is number two, if I'm not mistaken, Chinchero Wine Group is a private company. Yeah. Constellations is publicly traded. So, Jackson's publicly traded. Treasury's publicly traded. So I, that, I don't know about uh, Saint Michel. So that's one of the Chateau reasons. Michel. That, that, that's one of the reasons why they're doing what they're doing. They're publicly traded. They got to think short term. They got to think well, how much money we're going to make the next quarter. Right. Whereas the Wagners, they're they're thinking next generation. Yeah. Well, they know land is king, so we got to buy land. Well, and, and and you know, Steve at the end of his post, I mean, he's got a he's got a great, you know, his the last paragraphs, you know, it's great. There's another, you know, to quote him. There's another thing about buying vineyard land; it's always there for other purposes. Yeah, yeah. You, know? you don't have to just grow grapes. Yeah, and and I'll quote my dad here: "They ain't making any more earth." <laughs> there you go. But we are certainly making more people, so land's a good investment. Um, the colonel comes through. At he does, it's just back to the basics. Back to the that fundamentals. Awesome. Back to the fundamentals. Um, all right. Well, I, um, it's pretty fascinating. So uh, the uh, the third, and keeping in line with the, the, the theme here, and we kind of got going, is uh, the third thing would be um, there's an article that just recently came out uh, there's a post recently came out, which is probably this guy's one of my favorite writers. He doesn't write a whole bunch. He's in the banking industry. It's uh, Rob McMillan. And did you get this? Is the SVB, SVP Silicon Valley Bank on on wine? Yes. And what he's talking about is um, he's mentioning um, there was a, a a credit card, not a credit card. Well, there was yeah, there was, yeah, was a, a hack. They hacked the they hacked the site. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, a site that was hacked and uh, 250,000 uh, credit card um, information from uh, 2,500, excuse me, 250,000 credit card info were, were stolen in this industry hack. And he kind of breaks it down and goes through the whole thing about what happened. And at the very top of the post, he has he has kind of a little diagram. Right. And you see that he's got the customer... And, uh, you know, the online store, it's got the little cart with the globe in it. And then, you know, then it goes to PayPal or some payment gateway. And then it goes to the payment processor and then to the bank and then to the merchant. And then in the center of it all, he's got this ominous looking. Uh, <laughs> he has a hacker. <laughs> hacker. It should, just a, say, it should just say hacker right across <laughs> the bottom of the sort of icon thing there. So um, but he talks about. Um, how the um, how wineries are impacted by this and how they've all kind of been blindsided, uh, blindsided. And what's happened is the the info was hacked from e sellers, and it was hacked from e sellers' computers, not from the wineries. But the wine the wineries weren't hacked, but the client's personal information 
was stolen from the winery's vendor. So the winery is in a way responsible. So he's talking about the whole article is about who's responsible for this important and privileged information. And he also talks about why would anybody want to hack a winery when they could hack, uh, you know, there's all kinds of, they could hack Sears, uh, you know, Costco. Oh, uh, I want to hack a winery. Those people, I should. I, those people have lots of disposable income. And that was his answer to it. He said, yep. "Wineries customers, you know, basically they're wealthy individuals. Their personal data in the hands of a cyber criminal, you know, would allow them access to their stocks, uh, uh, their pension accounts, yeah. personal data, you know, credit card information, health records, all kinds of stuff. So." His whole thing is to wake up the wine industry. It's like you guys have to be involved with what's going on here. and You have to know how to protect your customers and what to do when information is taken, which brings up the whole issue of being PC, PC or payment card industry compliant. PCI. I'd never, never heard of that before. PCI DSS. Um, My gosh. Yes. So you could probably shed a little light on this. Yeah. <laughs> The, um, the the analogy here is is that when you're online and you have a store, it's just like having a store that's out in the physical world. It has to be secured, and you have to protect it. And a lot of businesses just don't understand that. And the other, <clears throat> you know, we often deal with what we call open systems in the computer business, which means that. There's a lot of information about how those things work, and if you're a clever person and and a thief, you can you can have success. And what's great is you're nanoseconds away from milliseconds away from um, you know everybody's store. So said it another way, sort of in the reverse, you know, if you have a store online, every criminal in the world who is a cyber criminal is milliseconds away from your front door. So. And the the you know trying to talk to a winery owner who deals in the physical world and you know cultivating plants and making wine or in the business of wine, talking to a computer security person who you know charges hundreds of dollars an hour potentially to try to secure things, and it isn't sort of somebody you can you can you know it isn't something you can have somebody come in and do it once it's sort of an ongoing thing because it changes so mm -hmm. fast so it really um it, it, it's a it, it's a significant cost of doing business in my experience having worked with some wineries with their networking infrastructure is they like they don't know what they don't know i mean i as uh little as five years ago i was able to drive up to a winery um connect to their wireless network it wasn't even secure and immediately connect to their pos system oh my gosh um, that's scary i've been to banks in this area that have open wireless networks and was able to get on the bank network um wow. so it, it 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 is amazing how um and it has to come from the senior leadership of the company the company i work for now I have to do a lot of hoops to get into our network. Yeah. A lot of, you know, I've got things I have to type things into my phone and I've got a separate card and you know, so we spend a lot of money in the business that I work in now making sure that we're secure, but we have customers data and we want to make sure that they trust us. Um, and I think that it's just going to it's a significant cost to doing business online. 
and you can't be laissez-faire about it. Um, and it's got to be tested. And, you know, the ultimate conversation here is the, um, is the Office of Personal Management breach that happened that they were able to, I think, 22 million um, people's data, including, you know, like their health information, their family's health information, um, security clearance information, you know, that, that uh, and I'll tell you, having gone to some security conferences, man, if somebody wants your information, they're going to get it. Yeah, that's what um, I'm thinking. It's almost like I'm kind of a little bit of a Luddite when it comes to these type of things because, I mean, basically, I think I'm the only person that works in my company that still gets a paper check. <laughs> yeah, I'm, almost, I'm almost ashamed to admit that. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. There's something very tangible about getting paid that way, like getting paid. But no, I mean, it's really, um, it's, uh, I mean, you've got to be conscious about it for sure. And yeah. it's super easy. I mean, it's, you know, you get these people's data and it's like, wow, I'm into your bank account. I mean, you get somebody's, you know, password and PIN number into their bank and there's a million dollars sitting in that bank account. It's like, wow, I just need to do it. And you do an electronic funds transfer, which you could probably do online, especially if you have their social number. That money's gone. Oh, oh it's unbelievable. It's man. gone. He, he brings up uh, uh, he, he, what he calls a plausible scenario of what could happen. And uh, he, he, he lays out where uh, somebody in a phishing attack, a criminal, they get information and they send out an email uh, to all of the um, club members at the winery. There you go. And the email reads this. We found four cases of acclaimed 20XX 100-point wine remaining in the cellar. The wine sells for $350 on the secondary market, but we're offering it to only a few of our best club members at a $175 release price. Checks only. First come, first serve. And then, you know, and then he breaks it down. What would this cost this hypothetical winery? Well, if there's 4,000 people in the club and 40% responded to the too-good-to-be-true offer for four cases, the thieves can earn $3,360,000 from your customers, each of whom will come to you and ask for their money back. Yeah, and what's, and what's even worse is if they catch these people, they have to put them through a regular trial for, for theft Mm-hmm. Where they have to explain the technical details of why this is theft, and oftentimes the law is not even clear that what people are doing is illegal. Um, you know, I sent an email out to people, and they responded. Um, you know, I don't know where the money went. Nobody can find the money, so it's not clear that they actually did anything other than send an email out. Well, that's not illegal. Exactly. Um, so it, and I'm I'm grossly oversimplifying a lot of what I'm talking about, but it 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 is. And if you, I mean, look at the list of people that have been broken into, right? Blue Cross, Staples, Sony, Home Depot, Target, and it, and the Sony breach. Sony's been breached in a couple of ways, right? So they got breached there. Um, you know, I believe that the PlayStation Network got breached and was a pretty big theft there, and then their studio got breached. And the stu- what happened in the studio wasn't so much a financial theft, but theft around um, like e- email communication about how the ex- studio execs were talking about directors and act- it caused material damage to their business. 
Well, yeah. I mean, and even if something happens to that effect, okay, say there's a breach and you get a letter. I mean, what are you going to do? I'm, I'm going to be, well, what are you going to do? And, and how's that going to affect your business relationship with that client? Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, I'm telling you what, if I go to X winery and, and I, uh, four weeks later, I get something, well, you know, hey, back in May, you know, this happened and, well, everything's okay. I'm, I'm going to think two or three times before I do business with them again. You know, I'm going to be a little bit more careful. Right. And uh, there were some pretty big name wineries that were named in this. I mean, there's an article in um, the Napa Register, and they name a few of the wineries. We're talking big estates. We're talking uh, Signorello, uh, Spring Mountain Vineyards, Pride Mountain Vineyards, Martinelli Winery, Heights Cellars. These are these are wineries that are selling bottles for $100, $200 a bottle. Yeah. And so, like, you know, to, to buttress your point, these are some pretty wealthy individuals that were making these purchases. So um, I'm, I'm surprised that there was so little information when I went looking around to kind of, like, find more info about it. I'm surprised there was so little info and so little interest in it because I see it as really a big thing. And I'm thinking maybe we all are becoming a little bit just, like, worn out about hearing about this hack and that hack. Right, and you do. I mean, and it's not. It's not um, doing some basic things like making sure you have secure passwords, good passwords. So you don't write them down. You don't stick them on places. It's a lot. It's it's very akin to just locking your doors. You mean this list that I have in front of me with my all my passwords on it next to my computer? That's not a good idea. Probably not a good idea. <laughs> Probably not a good idea. How many people are like me, Bill? Well, I think there are a lot of people like you, but there's things that you can do that to, uh, you know, there are password ag- aggregators that will allow you to have a master password that you don't have to have written down, but will securely sort of keep all your passwords. Now, they're open to attack too, but they're still, um, um, they're they're more difficult to get to get into. Um, and I, you know, the, the whole password thing, I think will be helped by, you know, a little pontification here, but as we start to enter things like the biometric stuff, so, you know, the Apple phones have the whole, you know, you can use your fingers to basically verify your password. Mm-hmm. And they have that new payment system now where you can swipe your phone and you have to provide your, you know, effectively provide your thumbprint, their, you know, their touch ID to officiate the transaction. That's really hard to replicate, super hard for hackers to sort of, um, um, I shouldn't say hackers either, thieves, to kind of get uh, your data that way. So you know, over time, we'll improve a lot of this stuff. And the whole pass, the whole password thing's just well. If you've been to Europe, right? You you know their credit card. They don't want to deal with American credit cards. They certainly don't. And the reason is is because the credit cards in Europe have chip and pin. So you <coughs> you you have to have. There's a pin inside the card. So you have to have the physical card, and then you have to have a pin to unlock the card. Um, and what I've read is that the fraud equation is sort of flipped in Europe, which means there's a significant amount of fraud here in the States. Uh, the, the banks are the people that end up carrying that fraud or paying for that fraud. And in Europe, it's much more decreased. And I think the, that whole payment card industry thing, I think we're going to chip and pin sometime next year. Yeah, that's already happened. I've yeah. had a few people already, they've already like sent me cards. Yeah. So all, all these things are going to cut down. Like, you're not going to be able to do an online transaction without having your PIN. So, like, the thieves could get your credit card number, but if they don't have your PIN, 
transactions not happen. So all there, you know, there's a lot of people working to help this problem, but it doesn't relieve the business of their responsibility to ensure that their data is secure, and at least they're making a reasonable effort to lock their doors. And and, and here's what I see: Meta, you I know, see this whole whole cottage industry coming out of, you know, the cleanup. You know, okay, the oh yeah, the milk is is all out of the carton now. Yeah. Now there's the cleanup. Who's responsible for the cleanup? Who's going to pay for the cleanup? Well, and then you got there's a bunch of the law says there's a bunch of stuff the business has to do once it has to, once it happens. So it, um, you know, that's um, you know somebody's got to do all that work. So yeah, it's a uh, it's 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 you know it all the all the analogies that happen in the physical world get moved to the digital world. Got to lock your doors. Got to make sure you're compliant. Gotta make sure your stuff's secure, all that good stuff. So, hey, Bill, who would have thought that it would be so dangerous to <laughs> bottle of wine? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's well, especially like if you're, you know, if you're a high net worth individual and you're doing business with these, you know, you know what you think <laughs> is a reputable company, and they're laissez-faire about their, you know, online <clears throat> stuff. I'd be pretty upset. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, where do we go from here? I got another salacious thing if you want to deal yeah, with it. Yeah, let's talk about it. This is good. <laughs> do you want to? This is good. Okay. We got a few minutes. Let's just, let's make this our last one. We're right at the edge here. All right. We got uh, uh, Jeffrey James Hill. And as we all know, if they, if they mention your middle name in an article, that's not good. <laughs> Typically not good. So Jeffrey James Hill, he's a former Napa Valley winemaker and vineyard manager uh, that was accused of uh, stealing some grapes from some uh, um, some wine companies. He has pleaded non-contest in the California court uh, to one count of grand theft. And what Jeff was doing was um, he oversaw some vineyards and he was doing the harvesting for Del Dado. And to, to make a long story short, you know, they pick all the grapes and they put them in bins and he was diverting some of the bins of the Del Dotto grapes to his own winery. And uh, Del Dotto had a representative out there kind of like staking out the operation, busted him and then they brought in the authorities and here we are. So uh, he's uh, he said he didn't do it and uh, or he did do it or I'm not sure who did it. That time. Is that what uh, no contest means, Bill? Yeah, it's uh, it. I am. I'm not going to confirm nor deny. There we go. <laughs> I do not confirm or deny that That's that occurred. Contest. I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> Prove it. So he's going to be sentenced in August 11th. But this guy is—he's uh, kind of like a small-time guy, and he did a lot of. Um, let's see. He's—he's—he's uh, he's, he's been around. He's been in trouble before. I think he was in trouble uh, in. Uh, the latter part of 2000, 2008, 2009 for some insurance fraud. He's been in uh, through bankruptcy before. But uh, he borrowed some money from his wife's uh, relatives and uh, purchased a piece of property uh, in Napa and started a winery. And uh, kind of a jet-setter guy, kind of just taking care of business, doing things. But he kind of skirted the law and, and kind of got busted for doing a few things. Doing a little switcheroo. Yeah, man. He's kind of uh, – they, they've uh, basically busted him. He would 
when the grapes are picked, he would uh, have the, you know, the, there's a chain of command for agricultural products. So when you, when you pick the grapes, um, there's a certificate that they give them. And, uh, you know, when the, when the driver gets to the winery, he hands that certificate, that certified load or whatever to whoever receives the grapes. You know, there's like a chain of command for everything. Sure. And what, what he did was he would, uh, he would get the driver and instead of giving them, you know, the certificate, he would have it in like a little uh, sealed envelope. And he was, he was, cir- he was like having some of the grapes dropped off at his own personal winery. It's <laughs> <laughs> just, not really the way it's supposed to work. Man. Why not? I picked them. I grew them. <laughs> so uh, he got busted and, um, Unbelievable. Yeah, he was the wineries uh, involved. I mean, it was some big wineries, and they had to actually one of the wineries had to recall their wine. They had to like because the wine is mislabeled. Like if you have a wine uh, and you purchased uh, you you harvested the grapes in Lake County, and then you put uh, a Napa designation on them, well, you know that's not where the wine came from. Well, it's fraud. I mean, it's fraud. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's you know. You're, you're telling somebody it's one thing and it's not. I mean, that's that's yeah. And you know, a a, a wine from uh, Lake County might, you know, Cabernet from Lake County might garner thirty dollars, but if you say it's from friggin' Napa Napa Valley, it could be a hundred dollars. Really, what's interesting is this guy and his wife they filed bankruptcy in two thousand and nine, so you know they really didn't have any money, but they did have um, a wealthy uh, his wife's uh, uncle and aunt where, you know, they had some money, and I think they were in the wine business and actually had a winery, and they lent them about $2.2 million to, you know, kind of bankroll it and get it going. And I believe they also uh, co-signed on a loan at a local bank for another million. So he was doing pretty well, but he kind of, uh, he bought it, you know, obviously he was in over his head. Yeah. And the, the moral of the story here, I guess, is if you're in the wine business, is you, you got to have, you got to start like that. You got to have a whole bunch of money to make a little bit of money. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's that. So, the running joke I've I've heard is like, how do you how do you get a small winery? You buy a big one. Yes, exactly. Um, but uh, you know, he's he. Uh, I guess he he got convicted and he's going to be sentenced here uh, pretty soon in in August. And I don't know what time what kind of time he's going to get, but. Um, I know that he really, you know, he did, he did some, some, some pretty shady stuff, um, you know, and a lot of people, some, you know, a lot of people got hurt, you know, as, as a result of it. So it's unfortunate to see that in the business, but it's also good to see that, you know, he's going to be paying some type of penalty for it. Hey, he got caught. So maybe they can send him to prison in Italy where he can be part of the winemaking program. <laughs> that island that they have there in the Mediterranean? Yes. I work, work in the vineyards. I, I I'd apply if I was you know. Might be better than going to, uh, you know, somewhere in the California penal system. Although likely he's just going to end up in Napa County. So, well, you know, and and aside the the guy, um, the, the one of the wine companies that he swindled was uh, Del Dotto. and I don't know if you know the the background or the story for Del Dotto. and and stop me if I mentioned this before, but uh, well. First of all, they make some just fantastic wine at that property. And uh, if you're ever in Napa Valley, uh, do yourself a favor and go by and, and do their uh, private tour and tasting. Uh, they break out all their best wines. 
Um, and they also have a, a really nice, um, you know, they pair it with food. And when you walk in the winery, it looks like um, looks like a, a Venetian palace, the way they have it set up. It's, it's, it's really impressive. But uh, Delgado, uh, uh, Dave Delgado, he started um, most, a lot of our listeners might not remember this, but back in the day when you watch TV, after the Johnny Carson show went off, there was a sign sign that came over, and then there was like a flag of uh, the American flag, and then the Star Spangled Banner or whatever would would play, and then there was nothing but snow on your TV. Right. Well, Dave figured out a way to make some money. He bought all that dead airspace when nobody was doing anything on, and that's how he made his money. He was one of the guys that was on the boat. You can be like me, blah blah blah, and yeah, here he is in Napa Valley making some great wine. So that's the American dream, right? I. Living the dream. <laughs> Living the dream. Living the dream, being a farmer. There we go. Well, we should probably wrap it up. Um, I just wanted to mention real quick to everyone that uh, the 2015 West Sonoma, Sonoma Coast uh, Wine Festival is going to be uh, happening in Sebastopol uh, the weekend of uh, July the 31st. I've heard this is a good show. Yeah, I, have you ever been to it? No, I have not been to it. I've had I know three people that have been to it. There, one of them is in the business, um, and two of them are not in the business, and the two that aren't raved about it. But I didn't really inquire, you know, if they've been to other shows, so don't really have anything to compare it to. And I think the press demo did an article on it last year and raved about it too. So, yeah, I'm. I think I'm probably going to go to it. Um, you know, they got some some places I'd really like to try the wines. Um, you know, it's a pretty good turnout. I think there's probably you know, got to be close to 40 or 50 wineries that are going to be born there. And a lot of them are, you know, it's all stuff out where we are. You know, you got um, some of my favorites are going to be there, like uh, uh, David Ramey will be there. Uh, Sidori will be there. Uh, Miramar Torres, uh, Linmar, Literai. So, you know, it, it should be a pretty... Uh, be a good show. It should, it should be a good show, so... Uh, and it's all weekend, so they've got a big to-do that's happening. They call it a whole hog uh, dinner on uh, Friday, which should be a pretty fun thing. And then uh, there's a grand tasting on Saturday and Sunday. Oh wow! So it's uh, it'll be uh, lots of lots of uh, good wine flowing. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. So uh, I guess that uh, wraps it up for what we got going. For this week, uh, we'll uh, try to get this consistent and keep it going, but um, have a good rest of the week. All right, Bill. Same to you. All hey, right. thanks, everyone, for listening. Leave us, Tell a friend. Yeah, leave us a comment. Like us. Do all that good stuff. We appreciate the feedback, and uh, we'll catch you next time. All cheers. right. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>